Turn to John chapter 10. The beginning of this chapter, Jesus is speaking to the people and he talks about the fact that he's the good shepherd and he contrasts his life, his work as the good shepherd with the work of other under-shepherds, some of which are hirelings. And the wickedness of those men who flee before the wolves, who flee before danger and leave the sheep to be harmed, to be slaughtered, to be fed upon by false teachers, by thieves. But the theme of the book of John, there's there's a few themes that run throughout the book that we've seen as we've been going through it, one of which is returned to again in our passage this morning at the end of the chapter, where Jesus announces the perfect unity between himself and the Father. He brings it to our attention again. It brings it front and center. And that that unity is central to our salvation, central to what it means for us to truly believe. So as the people are struggling with the teaching that he's just given, um, the next section that we read uh, is not necessarily an immediate continuation in time of what happened, because John organizes things more topically than by time as he's going through trying to, uh, as he says near the end of the book, teach us uh, what Jesus did so that we may believe and that believing we may have life in his name. So he continues into this new section where Jesus again speaks of being a shepherd. He again speaks of the people being sheep. And he says this very offensive thing. We'll read it. Uh, He says, you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. You do not believe because you are not of my sheep. And so this morning what we run into is one of these situations uh, where it's a catch-22. When you're dealing with logic, uh, a skeptic would read this passage and hear what it says and say, well, this is circular reasoning. There's nothing here to appeal to except for itself, and therefore, there's, there's nothing true here. But Jesus' appeal is to the perfect unity that he has with the Father. His appeal, his appeal is to the fact that he has... Eliza... Sorry about that. His appeal is to the fact that he is one with the Father. Okay? Don't you all worry about the babies today. I know we don't have nursery. 
they'll be loud, that's okay. Uh, maybe next week when we got more people back, we'll have a nursery again. If they get, if they get too loud, I'll just stop for a second and we can move on when they, uh, when they quiet down, but don't worry about it. <clears throat> um, so this phrase, this statement, you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, that's what we're going to be focusing on. All right, You do not believe because you are not of my sheep. The stumbling block that that is, is where we're going to be focusing a lot of our time. So please stand for the reading of God's word from John chapter 10, verses 22 through 42. John 10, beginning in verse 22. At that time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, made yourself out to be God. Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him, whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Therefore they were seeking again to seize him, and he eluded their grasp. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing, and he was staying there. Many came to him and were saying, While John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true. Many believed in him there. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now this passage has a sweet promise of security for his people. Jesus gives several promises here uh, that are delightful to us. Um, You think of the statement that he makes that 
he gives eternal life to his sheep and that they will never perish. And that's a beautiful thing, but then to take that one step further, and it's a big step further when he says in verse uh, 25, no, verse 28, after he says that he'll give them eternal life, then he follows that by saying, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Then he goes the step further that is what makes the Jews so angry at him by saying, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. What sweet promises. The promise of salvation, a promise that cannot be broken, a promise that nobody can do anything to you to take that away. And it's a good thing that that promise is backed up by the absolute power of God the Father, isn't it? Because if it wasn't for the very fact of God the Father's absolute power and him saying that we're held, the people of God are held in his hand, then what hope would we have that we could be saved? When we read that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but is against principalities and powers and world forces of this darkness, and you think, well, what chance do I have of fighting that kind of battle? Right? On our own, we would not survive that battle. But because we are held in his hand, our survival is absolutely guaranteed. No one can take us out of his hand. Nothing can take us out of his hand. But that sweet promise is dependent on one fact. It's dependent on you being one of his people. Because he only holds his people in his hand, right? He does not hold the people that he has not chosen in his hand. He only holds his sheep with this guarantee, with this perfect promise. And so unless he chooses you as his sheep, you can't believe in him in spite of all the evidence that he offers. And this is, this is what we see with the Jews. This is why he says to them, you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. The nature of faith is... See is grasping that which you can't see, right? That's how one of the ways the Bible talks about faith. And here we have one of the ultimate questions of faith, which is, are you a sheep or are you not?
the Jews thought that they were the people of God because they were born of Abraham. We, this is an idea that we see throughout the last couple of chapters and really throughout the book of John that John is intent on the, on the Jews, the people of God, seeing that just because they're Jews does not guarantee them anything, right? Just because they are children of Abraham does not mean that they are Abraham's seed, does not mean that they are sheep. And so when Jesus speaks this way, you are not of my sheep, it ought to be very offensive to the Jews because what he's saying is, you are not God's people. And that becomes very clear when he then equates himself so perfectly with the Father, right? When he says, I and the Father are one, and you are not of my sheep, then he's saying you are not of the Father's sheep. When Jesus begins this, uh, it's, it's in response to them asking a question, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And this is the same kind of question that we will hear today from people who are convinced that there hasn't been a clear message from God. Some of those people call themselves atheists, some of those people call themselves agnostics, okay? But in both cases, they're convinced that there hasn't been a clear message from God, that God has not spoken clearly. That somehow we are, the, the agnostic would say, we're, we're being kept in suspense. There may be a God, there may not, there's no way for us to know. How are we supposed to know whether there's a God or not? And what Jesus answers with here to the Jews when they ask, how are we supposed to know if you're the Messiah or not, tell us plainly, what he says is, I've already told you, I've already told you, and you don't believe. Then, later on in the passage, what does he do? He says, even if you don't believe me, he, he makes clear once again, I and the Father are one, you know, you being my sheep means eternal life. These things are absolute, clear claims that he is the Messiah. Who but the Messiah could call himself the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep? Who but the Messiah could guarantee eternal life to those who follow him? Who but the Messiah could say, I and the Father are one? You guys see how clear it is that he's, his claim that he's the Messiah here? And yet he faults them for not knowing it already. And the reason that he faults them is because their not knowing it already is their lack of faith, is a refusal to believe. He has already told them. And then in the end, what does he do? He says, if you, even if you don't believe my words, look at my works. Look at my works. And this is the same response, really, that we need to understand is given to the agnostic today, right? The man who says, well, we can't really know whether there's a God. It hasn't been stated clearly. We're just being kept in suspense. 
what do we say? We say, look at the works that he has done. We say, no, he has made it clear. No, he's spoken clearly. It's here. He's spoken. We have the word of God. He's made it himself abundantly clear to us in his word, through the prophets, throughout time. He has made it clear that God is, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. But not only that, look at his works. Look at the creation, right? All of heaven declares the glory of God. The stars, the firmament, the handiwork of his hands. All of these things, the changing of the seasons, the beautiful sunlight, the fall colors, every last bit of creation, whether you're looking in an electron microscope or whether you're looking in a telescope up to the stars or whether you're just opening the blinds first thing in the morning, what you see is a creation that never stops declaring that God is. And yet, when Jesus speaks of his works, the people are angry and they're seeking to stone him. Like he says, I've done lots of good works. Which is it that you stone me for? Remember what we read in Matthew chapter 8 earlier this morning. We just read a list, basically, of miracles that Jesus performed. Healing Peter's wife, calming the storm. Uh, now all of a sudden they're escaping me. There was a whole list in that chapter, right? Just miracle after miracle. Oh, healing the people that came to him. Started with the man who had leprosy. Just goes through this whole list of, of miraculous things that Jesus did. Every one of those is a clear declaration of who he is because every one of them is a work that he's pointing to here. And so he says, you know, okay, why are you going to stone me? Are you going to stone me because I healed people? Are you going to stone me because I cast out demons? Are you going to stone me? Why are you rejecting the Messiah? His works are clear. Now, what are his works today? What are his works today? Well, the works of the Messiah today are that he has made a people for himself. Now, this is very, this is very uh, hard. Because the, the moment that I say, you are the works today. You, if you are one of his people, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are one of the works that declares his handiwork today for all of the world to see. The moment I say that, if you're a Christian, you're going to be tempted to say, but I've got sin in me, right? You're going to be tempted to say, no, don't look at me. I need to hide myself because I'm, going to, I'm a sinner. 
I don't want people to look to me to see whether this can be true. I don't want people to look to me as evidence. But Jesus is saying, look at my works. And his works today are his people. On the flip side, if you're not a believer, then you'll have the temptation to say, look at his people. They're filled with sin. There's hypocrisy in the church. They all are money grubbers. They're always in fighting with each other. You know, looking at the people of God and saying, that's the work that I'm supposed to look at to prove that God exists? That's the work that I'm supposed to look at to know that there's a Messiah? That group of sinners over there? And so the Jews who do not believe in him are offended at him. And they're offended by everything that he's done. Even though it's, you know, he, he says, I've done many good works, why do you stone me? They say, not for the good works, not for any good work that you've done, but because you blaspheme making yourself equal with God. And so that's the, everything about him offends them. But that's where they focus their particular claim in order to have a legitimate spiritual reason to be angry. Okay? They're looking for something where they can have some sort of legitimate claim. And obviously, if you look at the good works that he has done, all of these healings, all of these miracles, you're not going to find anything to be offended by. You're not going to have any justification for being offended at those things. Right? But when you look and you say, yeah, but he did this one on the Sabbath, then you've got a reason to to start being angry. Or you look and he says that, he's, that he and the Father are one. Now all of a sudden you've got some, some legitimacy in your religion to say, see, he must be a wicked man. And so they take this one thing and they say, this is our proof that he's wicked. Now, here's, here's where I want us to turn this around. You think of the fact that I've just, been, I've just gotten done saying there's sin in the people of God still, right? And that's the thing that a lot of people want to use as their proof that they don't have to believe in God. That's the thing that makes a lot of Christians want to hide from the world. You remember the song, This Little Light of Mine? Hide it under a bushel. Yes, please. Right? Hide a, if I could hide under a bushel, that would be great because then people wouldn't see the mixture of my light, that there's darkness in it, you know, that I still have these sinful areas in my life. If I could just be a bush, you know, hidden under a bushel, that'd be great. This is the same temptation given to both Christians and non-Christians at this, at this one point, right? So bring that into what we've just been talking about. What the Jews have done is they've picked something that they can feel like they're, they have a legitimate reason to be offended by. And this is what people do. They look at the church and they say, well, I have a legitimate reason 
to deny God. I have a legitimate reason to reject his Savior. I have a legitimate reason because I grew up in the church and they were always fighting. I grew up in the church and, you know, so-and-so stole my Nintendo DS when I was in youth group. And that's, you know, that's Christians to me. That was an actual, you know, example from somebody I met one time, right? Uh, why don't you go to church anymore? Well, you know, they stole from me. It's like, well, I'm sorry to hear that. That's terrible. That's not Christian behavior, right? And yet, here's what I want you to see. What I want you to see is just like with Jesus, his claim to be one with the Father, all right, that is the essence of the ultimate proof that he offers, and that's where they think they've got a leg to stand on. It's the same today with people looking into the church and seeing sin, and they say, aha, see, there's sin, therefore I have perfectly legitimate reason to stop going to church. I have a perfectly legitimate reason to start doubting. I have a perfectly legitimate reason to give myself to sin is ultimately what that means, right? But what's going on there? What's going on there is they've picked the one thing that ought to be the, the, the very best reason to believe. And that's where they've become offended and given it as a reason not to believe. Okay? Now, why ought that to be our, the very best reason to believe? Well, because the word of God is clear that Christians are sinners still. Right? We see this over and over. You can't read the New Testament. You can't read the book of Corinth, you know, the, the letters to the Corinthian church. You can't read the letters to Galatians. You can't read anywhere without seeing that Christians are still sinners. And so that's the thing that you're going to say, therefore, this is proof. I can tell that Christianity isn't real because there's hypocrisy in the church. And I say, really? Isn't that interesting that that's exactly what the Bible says? And so that's your proof that it's false? Because you see that it's exactly what it says? Is what you see in reality? This is absurd, right? And so what does this mean? It means that Christianity is for sinners. This is what you have as the, the message when Jesus says that they are to be, you know, that the, the reason they don't believe is because they can't believe because they're not sheep, that description of us as sheep, we've seen what the sheep are, right? The sheep are the, the dumb animal that goes around doing stupid things that they shouldn't be doing, getting themselves into trouble, needing to be rescued over and over and over and over again. So today, we say, this message is true, and people are going, well, yeah, but you're a sinner. And they say, yeah, exactly, that's what the message is. 
I'm a sinner. But I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a, I'm a sheep that's been chosen by God and is held in his hand. And that's the only reason that I have any hope. Because if it was up to me, this fight would have been long ago lost. But by the grace of God, I'm continuing to fight and I'm continuing to grow in victory against sin. Not that I'm a perfect person, right? And yet this is the very thing that people pick as their offense often. And especially right there where I say I have been chosen by God, plucked out of death and hell and destruction and placed in his hand. And then what do they say? They say, well, are you saying I have no free will? The very thing that ought to give us hope the very thing that ought to prove to us the reality of this, the work that God has done of saving people who cannot save themselves, right? That very work is then the thing that people use as their excuse not to believe. It's the stumbling block. Jesus is described as a stumbling block to those who do not believe, right? And so, it takes various forms. I've just given one form where it's, well, the fact that Christians are still sinners. Well, all that does is demonstrate the truth of what Jesus says, and yet it's a stumbling block to people, right? Here's another one. The fact that he plucks and chooses people and sets them in his hand and then says, and I'll never let go of them, and nobody can take them out of my hand, right? They're totally safe. And then we, we choose that. That very thing that's central to the message. We'll, we'll choose that as another thing to be offended about. This is what the Jews are doing. They're, they just decide, well, we're going to be offended at his claim to be God. And it's like, you just got done asking him whether he was the Messiah. Have you not read the Old Testament? Which is what he says, you know. He goes, oh, come on, you guys. Haven't you read the Psalms where it says you are gods? I mean, at the very simplest level, this is an obvious thing. And so we get offended, similarly, at his claim that the people can't believe because they're not sheep. They can't believe unless they're chosen, is what that means. And it's just like, uh, uh, no, no, free will is the most important thing right now. And so I want you to realize right here that these kinds of conversations that you have with people where, you, where they say something to you that you're going, but that's exactly right. Yeah, the church is filled with sinners. The church, Jesus died for sinners. That very thing will be the thing that they will use as their proof is their excuse not to believe? And I don't want you to be shocked by that. Right? 
That very thing where they say, well, you can't take away my free will. You see, but, but that's, exactly, that's exactly what's necessary, is that God change your heart, because you're dead before that, dead in your trespasses and sins. While we were still enemies, he died on our behalf. When we give people the message of hope in Jesus Christ, some of them, if they have been chosen, they'll believe because they are sheep chosen by him. Others of them, like the Jews here, will simply be offended at the good news. They're not offended at you. They're offended by Jesus Christ. It's him that they stumble on. The rock of stumbling. And so, will we be offended? Offended at the thought that there's sinners being saved? Offended at the thought that God would pluck people out of the darkness and set them into the kingdom of light in his hand? Will we be offended at that? These are, the, these are the things that he has done. These are the things that we have as the evidence, not the things to be offended at. Lives are changed by Jesus Christ. And only God could change our hearts to believe in him. So what this means for us, if you are one of the people of God, is don't be ashamed by these truths when you're in conversations with other, others. They are the very essence of the message. Do you see that? They're, you have nothing to be ashamed of when somebody says, aha, gotcha, there's hypocrisy in the church. You say, yeah, that's what the Bible says. You've got nothing to be ashamed. It's not like they've caught you. You say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what the Bible says. So you're, so you're affirming what the Bible says? You believe it? Well, I could never be a part of a people where there's sin. That's ultimately, you know, well, there's hypocrisy. Wait, wait. I'm confused. Are you a good person or are you a bad person? Do you have sin? Because I have sin. That's the, that's the beauty of the message is that he didn't come for the righteous. He came for the sinners. He came for his sheep that needed a savior, that needed a shepherd. Don't you need that? There's no gotcha here. There's nothing for us to be ashamed of. Don't hide your light under the bushel. Let it shine. It's the light from the throne room of God. You read Revelation. You read 
the description of the new city. of Heavenly Jerusalem and the light that's shining and the river that's flowing. And you guys, this is the church of God. This is us. This is the, we are being built up into that Jerusalem, into that new city. Praise God for his work in our lives. Don't be ashamed of it. Let's pray.